Welcome to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. We get to share a lot of missionary stories here on Faith and Family. It's one of my favorite things to do uh, because I I think it's it's nice when we get to hear stories directly from our missionaries about their lives serving the Lord in in a way that's quite unique and quite often in a, a culture that's very different from ours, uh, from what we know. And so it's great to hear these stories first person, right, from our missionaries. We have a unique one today, probably perhaps the most uh, most unique missionary story I've uh, I've read in uh, in a long time. So I can't wait to share our story today of Anita Dennis with you. Thanks to our underwriter, Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting faith and family. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin on our website, kfuo.org. The CUW logo, you can find it in the sponsor section there. You just click on that and that'll take you to more information about Concordia University, Wisconsin. Joining us by phone this morning, Anita Dennis, missionary, African chief's wife, uh, writer. Anita, welcome. Welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Glad to have you with us today and can't wait to uh, to share your story with our listeners. Let's start with uh, where you where you grew up. What you grew up in Ohio, is that right? Yes, I I grew up on a farm in northwestern Ohio and uh, our family was members of a local church, a small rural LCMS congregation. Uh, I grew up there going to church and Sunday school. I was confirmed there, and that was our major uh, social group. How would you describe how would you describe the community? You said you, it was a farm, right where you lived? Yes, it was a, a, a very close community. Uh, you know, and uh, very loving, and, uh, you know, people knew each other and shared common interests. And so you, you grew up there on the farm, and, and where did you, tell me about education, your, your education and the choices that you had for education along the way. I went to a state college, uh, Ohio University, because the tuition, uh, you know, the costs were lower. And it was actually there that I fell in love with my anthropology professor, who was a hereditary Mendy chief from Liberia, West Africa. And that, going to Ohio University, put my life on a completely different path, (laughs) to put it mildly. What was it that that you saw in him? The thing I think that attracted me the most was his Christian faith, that we shared our faith. I admired him as a professor. He was teaching me things that were just so far outside my realm. Uh, Anthropology is the study of cultures around the world, and it was captivating to me. And so you, you, you got to know your professor and became friends, and, and this turned into uh, a relationship that, that you knew was going to be longer than just, uh, just a, a friend or just a professor. Yes, we fell in love on a college campus. <laughs> how, was that, how was that perceived by others? Uh, not well. Uh, my parents uh, sternly objected to this. 
And in fact, I was taken out of college and I was away from Ben for two years before we were together again. And then we eventually got married. Now, why was it, why, what was it that, that others, including your parents, struggled with? Well, I have to tell you that my husband uh, was separated from his wife at the time. They were not divorced, and I'm not proud of that fact. And also the fact that he was an African, he came from another culture, and he was a black man. So they certainly had reasons to object to this. And also, he was 16 years older than I was. So... They wanted to protect me, and, and I really, I can't condemn them for that at all. And so where did he go from there? You, you, you said you, you left, uh, you were brought out of college and, and, and back home, right? Yes, I was home for about a year, and then I signed up for a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod program called Prince of Peace Volunteers, and we worked in the inner city. And I have to tell you that that was a culture shock to me as much as, not as much as going to Liberia, but it was a culture shock. Uh, Living in the inner city, um, I worked with a Hispanic congregation, and I was there for a year in New York City before I came back uh, to Ohio University. And what did you study at Ohio University? I My major when I went to college was journalism because I really wanted to be a writer. And as a high school student, I just felt that I had nothing to write about. (laughs) So I changed my major after I fell in love. I changed my major to sociology and anthropology. And my husband had a dual Ph.D., in both areas. So I did take a number of classes from him, both before I married him and after I married him. And so you you studied, and then when did you, where did you go from, from college then? Well, we, my husband got a job at the University of Michigan, Flint campus in Flint, Michigan, And we lived there a year, and President Tubman, a ruthless dictator of Liberia, died, and it seemed to be a turning point. My husband was chosen to be a delegate to the funeral from the University of Michigan. It was the first time he had been home in 22 years. And the following summer, he said, I want to take you to meet my people. (laughs) So this, needless to say, was a change and a turning point in our marriage. How so? Well, my husband took me up to his remote village. Uh, I was carried in a chief's hammock over the Kambui mountain range, Uh, There was no road to the village, and I will never forget that first trip back to his village. As we were approaching the village, we heard celebratory gunfire, and there was a whole crowd of people that rushed around me, and 
and moved me to this grave site in the center of the village. There was a half-walled concrete wall around it, and it had a, a, a raffia roof. And my husband went into the grave site, and the entire village was standing outside. And I also was taken into this grave site. As I stood my as I stood there and watched my husband giving honor to the Mendi ancestor, Chief Ngambuteje, he stood there weeping and the whole village was watching. I will never forget that moment because I did not realize it at the time, but this did indeed change the entire course of our marriage. Hmm. And so did you did you stay there, or how long were you there in Liberia? Well, on that first visit, I was in, the, in Vahun for about a little over a week. The most time we spent there was in the capital city of Monrovia, and we actually stayed in a mansion in Ben's Americo-Liberian cousin, uh, they were very wealthy, and it was quite a contrast. In fact, I had never seen such a lavish home in America, and there I went to Africa and stayed in this gorgeous house with his cousin and his family. And how were you received by them? I would Well, they received us. They welcomed us, certainly. Uh, they had not known me before. I found the Liberian people in Monrovia to be very welcoming, and this was their son, uh, you know, coming home. You see, my husband had a very unique position. He was not only the son of a tribal chief, but he had very close ties and some relatives that were Americo-Liberians. And these were the founders of Liberia in the 1800s before the Civil War. So they were the elite uh, ruling group at the time. This was in the 1970s. And they were very warm, uh, very welcoming, uh, very hospitable. I attended many parties and different events in Monrovia. It, it, was, uh, it was a wonderful experience. How would you describe life for for most people beyond that, that family in Monrovia at the time? Well, there was a huge contrast between the urban area and the rural area. So there was this small enclave of American Liberians that ruled the country, but the vast majority of the country uh, was rural, um, very inaccessible. Uh, did not have health care or education uh, that it should have had. So while you had, you know, these government buildings in Monrovia and you had an urban environment, it was very, very different, a a very great contrast uh, between the two areas completely. So you were there for a visit and you came back to the United States, is that right? I came back to the United States, and in fact, I had such culture shock after visiting Ben's village that I knew it was wrong, but I actually contemplated divorce, divorcing my husband. I 
when I first met my husband, he was a college professor in this country. And I knew he was from Africa, but he told me that, you know, his work was here. He wasn't talking about going home or anything like that. And the reason he wasn't was because of the reign of President Tolbert. And when Tolbert, I mean, the reign of President Tubman. And when Tubman died, uh, that really changed things for him. I, of course, never knew this was was going to happen. And so this was something in my marriage that I had certainly not bargained for. I did not divorce my husband. (laughs) And in fact, uh, God was moving in all of this. When my husband got back to Monrovia, he actually pleaded with the new president, President William Tolbert, to build a road to his village because he had seen how isolated his people were. Well, lo and behold, that actually came to pass. And the following Christmas after I came back, we received a call, or Ben received a call from the executive mansion in Monrovia that President Tolbert had agreed to build the road and he wanted Ben to come home and make a trip with him up to his remote village. I saw this as God's hand in everything, and I began to realize that God had a greater mission for my husband than being a college professor, that God really did want to use him to help his people. Hmm. So you're a professor now, your professor husband uh, feeling strong ties back to home and uh, and and wanting to spend more time there definitely how he, he loved his people and being the son of a chief he wanted to help his people so where did you go from there well things kept evolving Uh, My husband and I were active in a church in Flint, Michigan, and he was made a member of, he was made an elder, and then he was on the board of directors, and then he was elected to go to the Anaheim Convention, the National Anaheim Convention, and there he was elected to the Synod Board for Missions. And again, I saw this as God's hand. And as he was attending these mission board meetings, he kept telling the men, my people need to know Jesus. And God was working in all of this. And so he saw a great need for the word of God, for this gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified for our sins, that was that was lacking among his people. He wanted to be able to bring that good news to them. You know, the very first time he went to Vahun, he said, the people asked him, you became famous and you're successful in that other country. Why did you come back? And he said, one of the reasons that I came back was because of Jesus. And they said, well, who is this Jesus? Uh, We would like to meet him. Uh, Will you bring him the next time you come? 
So here you had people who had never even heard the name of Jesus Christ. And believe me, that touched our hearts very, very deeply. So when did you, where did you go from there? Did you return to Liberia and and, and stay there? Well, we made numerous trips during the summers. And the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod uh, did decide to begin a mission there. And so uh, there were different trips back, and we made a trip back to announce the coming of the, the mission. And eventually, uh, missionaries were sent there. Uh, the first missionary had quite a challenge because he had to build a house and, and you know, really establish himself. And the road uh, that was constructed over the mountain range was a very rudimentary road. Every time you traveled on it, you were, in fact, risking your life. And during rainy season, the heavy rain would just wash out the road. And so it was very difficult, uh, the transportation. But they did eventually uh, build a home and, and live in Vahun. So we were very thankful to see the work of the mission going forth. And where, where did this bring you? What, what was your role, your vocation now? Well, I really felt that my role was to support my husband in his mission efforts. And there was a women's group in our church that prayed uh, when a bridge washed out, and uh, we heard from President Tolbert that they would be installing a new bridge, and we saw this as a sign. Uh, And then we felt that if missionaries could go and live there among his people, uh, why couldn't we go there as a family and live there and minister to his people? So we had a purchase agreement on our house. Ben took a leave of absence from the University of Michigan and we had all of our plans made. We were going to move back to Liberia with our three children, our three sons. And this was in the spring of uh, 1980. Everything was in place. And then my husband got a call in the middle of the night that a military coup had taken place in Monrovia And the president, his good friend that had expedited the mission and the road to the village and all of these things, that he had been assassinated in the executive mansion. Well, that changed everything immediately. And we knew that we were not going to Liberia after all. Since my husband had taken a leave of absence, he notified the university and right away they they started summer classes and or fall classes so he did go back to teaching in in the fall and so he he continued teaching and where did that what did that leave you up to well <laughs> excuse me we lost our house Um, The couple that had bought one at our house, they were going to sue us if we didn't sell the house. So it was a time of transition. It was a time of tragedy. 
we received news that different relatives, different Americo-Liberian relatives uh, had been killed. Uh, his cousin had been the minister of state, and he was one of those that was machine gunned on, on the beach. Uh, it, it was just devastating to us, and we were just praying uh, the missionaries uh, were safe, and, and we knew that. And uh, we just kept waiting and watching as things unfolded. Uh, the country was taken over by the indigenous people who had been treated uh, very, very unfairly. But things were very unstable. Nonetheless, in 1983, uh, my husband was up for his sabbatical. So one afternoon, he came home and he told me, he said, I would like to spend my sabbatical in Vahun, in my father's village, and I, I think we can do some lay missionary work. And I was startled at first, thinking, well, would this be safe? And yet I knew that I had to trust God, and I felt that this call was from God, and so we made preparations, and in the fall of 1983, we went to Liberia to spend a year in his father's village. And what happened when you first arrived there? Well, in Monrovia, we could see that things had not been good. I mean, we could see that buildings were not maintained. We could see a lot of tension uh, among the people. Uh, Doe was in control, but it was it was tenuous, and and people were very tense. And in fact, my husband felt that to allay suspicion, he should meet with Doe before we went up country. And we did meet with him in the executive mansion, but it was a very very difficult meeting because Doe reached out his hand to shake Ben's hand and he just couldn't do it. And so I had to shake Doe's hand. And then in that, those few moments, my husband collected himself and was able to shake the hand of the man who had killed his friend, President Tolbert. He simply announced to Doe what his plans were and then the next week, we headed up to Vahum uh, to live there for a year. And so how did that go, getting settled in Vahum? Okay. Well, when we went there, there was a team of missionaries that were already working there. So we were going to be assisting them and participating in the life of the church and participating in the life of the village. Now, when I did lay missionary work, it was a very unique ex uh, experience because I was the wife of the chief. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, a, <clears throat> excuse me, I wasn't a foreigner. Uh, you know, I was part of the family, and uh, there were certain expectations upon me. And I think one of the most difficult transitions was uh, finding a place to live 
in, in the town, in Vahun itself. The missionaries had a very nice home up on a hill by the landing strip for the bush plane. And we were going to, uh, one of Ben's nephews said, well, you can use my house to live in while you're there for the year. Well, we went there, excuse me, and the house was not really livable. Uh, there was no, there was no kitchen and there was no indoor bathroom. (laughs) So needless, and, and there were holes in the screens. And I will never forget the first night we slept there, the mosquitoes were swarming around us. It was just... So we, we trekked back to the missionary's house, and we said, we just really need to, you know, fix this house up. And the missionary's wife was very sweet and loving, and she said, I know. She said, I wondered about that. And she said, come on in. And so we stayed with them while the house was renovated and made livable. So we literally had to make a kitchen and make an indoor bathroom. Now, we didn't have running water. Uh, the missionaries uh, loaned us one of their generators, uh, so we did have a generator, but it was very off and on. It Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. So most of the time we used little kerosene lanterns, so it was a different way of life. Uh, we had our drinking water, we had to boil it and filter it and uh, it was a very different way of life from what we were used to, you know, in Michigan. We need to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back from that, I want to learn more about your life in Liberia. We're talking with Anita Dennis, missionary and African chief's wife here on Faith and Family, the messenger of Good News Worldwide, KFUO. We'll be back in just a little bit. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. This is Life Issues with Brad Mattis, president of Life Issues Institute. The evidence shows most women who choose abortion do so under pressure or duress. Megan Chen, the Los Angeles model, is one. While having a physical relationship with Nathan Hamill, son of Mark Hamill of Luke Skywalker Star Wars fame, she became pregnant. She told Nathan, who immediately pressured her to have an abortion. Nathan's parents also pressured her to abort. Megan finally gave in to pressure, opting for the chemical abortion pill, which caused them to believe the baby was gone. Less than a week later, Nathan dumped Megan when he thought the abortion was complete. But God had other plans. He hid this baby in her mother's womb, and she's due this month. Don't believe the guys who say, abort the baby so we can stay together. 
it often doesn't work out. Like us on Facebook at Life Issues and stay informed, more informed than you've ever been. Your retirement assets may make the best gift to Worldwide KFUO. Gifts from IRA or 401k funds will not be diminished by taxes. In fact, leaving these funds to your children may result in giving them less than half the funds you worked a lifetime to build. Call Mary at 314-996-1518 if you have questions about retirement plan gifting. We'll send a representative out to explain why a legacy of giving may benefit you as well as Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Mark Hawkinson with an invitation for you to join me over the weekday noon hour for Moments of Assurance, your lunchtime spiritual recipe. You'll enjoy encouraging scriptures, a bit of Bible history and trivia, news items, humor, the kids' corner, and more, all mixed in with faith-strengthening sacred music, a blend just right for your midday hour. So join me, won't you? That's Moments of Assurance over the weekday noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Lord, what impact might I have today? Hi, this is Rich Robertson, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Is this a question you ask yourself? Are there times you don't feel fully engaged in sharing the gospel? Your investment with LCEF is used for loans and services that ministry organizations and leaders need to reach their community. Put your money to work within the LCMS and make an impact each day. To learn more, visit lcef.org. Ad Crusum offers theologically sound, scripturally rich, and high-quality items for nearly every occasion. They have exquisite greeting cards, handcrafted jewelry, fine art, crucifixes, church certificates, banners, and much more. AdCrusum.com has amazing products at great prices. That's AdCrusum.com. Greeting cards and gifts designed and made in the USA. Confessing the faith through art and word. AdCrusum.com. Listening to Faith and Family, I'm Andy Bates. We are talking with Anita Dennis today, a missionary, African chief's wife, writer as well. Anita, I, I've enjoyed hearing your story so far. Now, before we went to break, we were talking about just starting to get settled in life in Liberia, getting your home ready, living with others while you were getting your home ready. Now, what was a typical household like in that part of Liberia at that time? The the homes of the indigenous people, of the Mendi people, and my husband's mother's tribe, the Bandi people, were mud block huts with a thatched roof. The house we lived in was mud block, but it did have concrete plastered walls, and it did have linoleum, uh, you know, on the floor, and there were there were screens on the windows that we, you know, did patch up. And we had a galvanized zinc roof. Uh, so the huts where the people lived were just hard-packed dirt. Uh, you know, there were no windows, uh, you know, and those kind of things. And so after, how long did it take before you were able to get into your house? How long did you live with the other family before you moved into your home? Oh, about a week and a half. Uh, they actually had some convicts uh, paint the inside of the house. 
<laughs> with a fresh coat of paint. The men came and they had on these orange jumpsuits. And I said, I said, I asked Ben's brother, I said, well, why, why do they have those outfits on? He said, because they're prisoners, they're convicts. And I thought, what? You know, and they were, they were doing community service. So the idea of breaking the law in a tribal village uh, is very different from here. I mean, here the men are supervised, but they they spend their time doing community work. And so, you know, within that week and a half, they put a concrete floor in the kitchen and in the bathroom. We actually had a pink toilet and bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> we did not have running water. We had a little, uh, you know, you would use a scoop in the uh, barrel in the hallway, uh, you know, for your water and in the kitchen also we had a barrel for water. Now where did the where did that water come from? Well, I I had to have household help because I was homeschooling our two youngest children. At that time Joe was in fourth grade and Peter was going into kindergarten. Uh, ben Jr. was a junior in high school and he was kind of on his own with a correspondence course. But I taught the two boys uh, every day. So we hired three houseboys, and each day they would go down to the well or down to the stream and bring up buckets of water on their head and fill up the, the, the barrels in the house. This was especially necessary during a dry season. But when rainy season came, we caught rainwater off the roof, and then we could, you know, pretty much... Uh, you know, fill the barrels inside from the barrel that was out under the eave. So water and uh, and things like that, just regular household uh, activities that you grew up with are, are certainly a little bit different. How did you adjust? <laughs> well, one thing is I knew that this way of life would only be for one year. <laughs> but I, of course, you know, you miss... Uh, a telephone, a, a TV, you know, communication. But there were certainly, you know, a lot of other challenges and activities going on because we lived right in the heart of the of the village. And so, especially when we first arrived, people were just stopping in constantly all through the day. And so I actually moved our classroom from the dining room table into one of the bedrooms, you know, the boys' bedroom, so that we could sit at the desk and, and do our work uh, uninterrupted. But it, it, it did give us uh, a greater appreciation, I think, for, I guess, Western technology, you know, having running water. And I think one of the biggest challenges was having safe, cold drinking water. The missionaries loaned us their extra kerosene refrigerator, and that proved to be the biggest household challenge because we started out with some tainted kerosene, and the flame would keep going out, and and then I would lose the food, you know, in the freezer. And about every three months, we went down to Monrovia, Sometimes we went in the bush plane. Sometimes we went by vehicle, and we would stock up on on some Western food supplies. But I also hired uh, one of 
uh, my nieces uh, to cook Liberian food because it's a very uh, time-consuming uh, enterprise, and uh, and I plus I didn't know how to do it, so. We ate some Liberian food, and we ate some Western food also. So you uh, learned to uh, to keep a home and, and, and to live life in Liberia. What about uh, interaction in the community? Uh, how were you? Uh, how was your your household an interracial an interracial couple uh, received in Africa? The Mendi people. From the very beginning, the Mendi people on my husband's side and the Bandy people on my husband's mother's side uh, welcomed me. Uh, I, I, I had a, a three-day welcoming ceremony. I was renamed Bendu. The people told me that we do not look at the color of a person's skin. We look at their heart. So from my very first visit to the village, I was welcomed and I was accepted. And the people did accept the missionaries that came to them. When we went back in 1983-84, there there was a church that was built, a congregation that was worshiping, and they had a welcome ceremony for us. And every Sunday, we would attend church. Uh, Sometimes my husband would read the scriptures, or my oldest son, Ben Jr. Uh, We did participate in the life of the church. I joined the choir. I later uh, resurrected the ladies' Bible study, and I held that in in my living room uh, for a while, while I was there. So... And and then my husband gave his personal testimony. While we were there, some mission opportunities were opened in some of the adjacent villages. And at each village we would travel to, my husband would get up before the people and he would say, I am one of you, and Jesus is my Savior, and I trust in him. And he has saved me from my sins, and I want this for all of you. And I'll never forget, in one of the villages, one of the elders said, what you want for us is what we want for us. You know what is best, and so we want Jesus for us, too. And so my husband did have a a very good influence, and he was held in a very, very high regard being a descendant of the chief, but he did not run the everyday affairs. There were people doing that. You know, he would simply sit in on some of the meetings, and I would say that what he said held very, uh, very high regard. The people would follow that. And in fact, when we first went there, there was a district commissioner who was very corrupt, and my husband saw to it that he was replaced, and, and I believe that the people were grateful for that. And when my husband gave the sermon on Good Friday, it was it was just very meaningful for the people to hear one of their own um, who really uh, shared this faith. Tell me about speaking of of holidays. What were holidays like for you and your family 
in uh, uh, in Liberia? Well, <laughs> they were very, very different, to, to put it mildly. Um, we didn't have a Christmas tree, um, and Santa didn't wear a red suit. In fact, uh, Santa was a masked being who went around the village uh, asking for gifts from the people <laughs> instead of giving gifts. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they did collect funds, you know, for a big feast, and my husband gave money, you know, so they would... They killed a cow, and they, you might call it the feeding of the 5,000, you know. there A lot of people had traveled into the village uh, for all the festivities, and uh, there was a, a beautiful service on Christmas Eve, and our choir sang, and I will never forget that feeling of worshiping with Christians who had a very different experience from mine, and yet we shared the most important thing in our life. We shared our faith in Jesus Christ. And it really gave me a sense of Christians all over the world uh, worshiping Jesus Christ. And, and it was a very beautiful, beautiful Christmas for me in that respect. But on the other hand, I was very homesick, you know, for my family and for all the familiar things. Uh, we didn't have any gifts under the tree and... Uh, I, 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 will re, I will never forget when the missionary's uh, daughter came down to the house on Christmas Day, and we did have a very big Christmas Day church service, which, which was beautiful. And that afternoon, the missionary's daughter came down with a box of Christmas cookies, German Christmas cookies, <laughs> and they had the sprinkles and the decorations on them, and I'll, I'll just never forget. I, I just sat there looking at that box of cookies, and I just cried. <laughs> I, I was homesick. So, you know, and at Easter, there were no Easter baskets. But we may not have had the trappings of a Western holiday, but we had the most important truth that Jesus Christ came to earth was lived here and and died for our sins and on Easter was raised from the dead and that's really what Christmas and Easter are all about how did you cope with the with the homesickness well i knew that i was only there for a year i mean i knew that eventually i would go back home i remember one time we were in Monrovia on one of our, our visits, and uh, I, my parents had called the Mission House. There, there were people there maintaining the Mission House in Monrovia to support the missionaries, and they had called the Mission House. And, of course, I missed the call, but later that afternoon we went down to this international call center. And I called them, and it was a very expensive phone call, but it was so good just to hear their voice. It, it was the only time that I did, but I did write my parents, uh, and then when the bush plane would come in, you know, we would send the letters, or we would go to Monrovia, and they would write us. And, and when I wrote my book, uh, my mother had saved all of those letters that I wrote home. Mm. And I'm so grateful she did, because it really did refresh my mind as to all the adventures and the experiences that we had in Liberia.
Tell me more about your your family as they they grew up and your the 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 rest of your time in Liberia. I think it was a very wonderful experience for our three boys to go to Liberia and to live in my husband's village. I think they too are descendants of this uh, Mendi chief, and I think it was very important for them to see where their father came from and to meet their father's relatives. And I believe it was one of the best parts of their education that they ever received. It really gave them a global perspective. It enabled them to see a way of life that was very, very different from their own. And in fact, I don't think that any of them were ever the same. Our oldest son, when he came back, he was then a senior in high school. And he became involved in Model UN, and he had a global perspective from then on. He worked in international projects, and indeed, he is still doing so. He's working at the U.S. Treasury. Our youngest son, Peter, even though he was only five at the time, he was the little darling of the village. You know, he'd be running around with the boys, and everybody loved him, and He is the one that ended up taking the greatest interest uh, in Liberia. Uh, He studied international law because he wanted to be, uh, to appeal for refugees and to help refugees. And of course, at that time, uh, Liberia was embroiled in two different civil wars. The country was in chaos. Uh, Most of the people in Vahum had fled to Sierra Leone. This was in 2002, and Peter went to Sierra Leone to do a project. It was a project for his law school, and while he was uh, working with the refugees, a man came up to his law partner and said, uh, "We, you are from America, and we wonder if you know a man named Benjamin Dennis. He is our relative, and we are trying to find him. And my son, Peter, overheard this man, and he walked up to this Mendy man, and he said, I am the son of the man you are looking for. And even to this day, it gives me goosebumps. And from that moment on, Peter was just swamped with people coming to him, uh, asking about my husband, asking for help. And so during that time, since Peter was actually there, his fiance carried funds from the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, from the National Church, from our local congregation, and from different people that contributed a a sent funds to Peter that he was able to distribute uh, among the people in the refugee camps. And in fact, uh, the Mendy pastor that was there told the people, God has not forgotten us. And it was very, very meaningful. Of course, uh, I believe it was uh, a year or a year and a half later that the people then eventually moved back to Vahun uh, when Ellen Johnson Sirleaf was elected president of the country, and, and then there was peace. And so... When did you return to the United States? 
Well, we were there in 1983, and so we re- we returned uh, back to the United States the summer of 1984, and then my husband resumed teaching, and um, you know life went on for us. But when we came back from that year in Liberia. We did do our best to spread the message about mission work in Liberia, and we spoke at a number of churches. Uh, We spoke at the Iowa District East uh, Convention. Uh, we, We really wanted to be advocates for mission work in Liberia because we had actually been there. And so we've. I felt as if I was a liaison between the Mendy people and people in America you know, to be that link of uh, supporting the mission work there. Earlier you had mentioned that you were given a new name when you were there. Tell me about that. <laughs> I was. My new name uh, is is Bendu. My Mendy name is Bendu. And uh, I was told that it means gracious one. And so I appreciated that. It was a little hard for me to get used to uh, 40-year-old men calling me Ma Bendu, <laughs> you know, um, you know, because I was young at the time. And, uh, you know, but of course, uh, to call someone Ma is a sign of respect. And to call a man old man is a sign of respect. And so that's what they called my husband, old man, and they called me Ma Bendu. <laughs> And so you uh, you welcomed those new names, and is, does anyone else call you that uh, back here in the States from time to time? Oh, yes. Uh, many people do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there there are a number of Liberians here who, you know, who fled all of those civil wars and, you know, came here as refugees. So there's there's a significant Liberian community in this country in different parts of the country, on the East Coast, uh, in Texas, on the West Coast, uh, in Atlanta, uh, in New York, uh, North Carolina, uh, different places. What is, what do you think is the, what are some of the most valuable lessons that you learned during your time in Liberia and that you've brought back with you here that the rest of us could learn from? I believe the most important lesson I learned is that God loves all of us and that God has a plan for our lives. I am a sinner, and yet God used me. Uh, The obstacles against our marriage were astronomical, and my husband often said that he really believed that if it were not for the Lord, we would never have made it. We would have never been together. And, and I believe that so firmly. And I believe that God used us to encourage uh, mission work in Liberia. In fact, it was really my husband that took the Missouri Synod uh, to Liberia. And so I believe that God can use all of us uh, despite our sins and our failures. Uh, God can use us if we commit our lives to Him. And He is a merciful God, and He loves people all over the world. And we should do all that we can to 
make that opportunity possible for all mankind, for Bible translators, that people can have the Word of God in their own language and that they can learn to read it. I have never treasured God's Word so much in my life. Uh, after, you know, I came back from Liberia to sit down and be able to read the Word of God in all of its truth and to learn the history of how God chose His people, how He sent a Savior, and how the early church began. This is a great, tremendous gift that all of us that can read English can read our Bibles ourselves. What, with just about a minute left, how has the gospel worked uh, among the, the Mendi people in, uh, in Liberia? The Mendi, uh, I should say the Liberian people, have taken over the spread of the gospel. There is now the LCMS in Liberia. It's called the Luther- Evangelical Lutheran Church of Liberia. It has a director. It has uh, over 100 congregations. And there are lay pastors, there are uh, Mendy pastors. Uh, there's a congregation in Vahum today with a Mendy pastor. There's a congregation in Somalahum with a Bandy pastor. And so the work of God is going on among the Liberian people, and I am so grateful for that. Well, thanks be to God. The Word of God is reaching people, and uh, thanks be to God for those early years that uh, that you and others were there to bring that good news of Jesus. Amen. Well, Anita, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I have appreciated your time, and and uh, your story was in a recent issue of Lutheran Women's Quarterly as well. I can check that out and, and read more of Anita's story there as well. Anita Dennis, missionary, African chief's wife, thanks so much for being my guest today, and we'll also share a link to your webpage as well with our listeners on our, our uh, archive of today's program, Anita Dennis, AnitaKDennis.com. Anita, thanks for being my guest today. Thank you. Coming up in just a little bit, Thy Strong Word with Pastor Whedon. You're listening to Worldwide KFUO. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at kfuo.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.